It was an amazing thing that because it's only a 50% chance and I did survive. And I just feel so grateful for, for life and so grateful for my parents. So I, I do feel like because I've lived through that, I have this responsibility to be worthy of the second chance that I'm given in life. So many people have believed in me and so many people have helped me. I have to try and do something with it and not just live comfortably. And I always think that there's two things in life, like courage and comfort, and I can only choose one. In this episode, we speak to someone who took an idea and brought it to life. Amber Leong is the first Malaysian entrepreneur who pitched a light therapy lamp business on Shark Tank, which is a reality TV show where inventors and entrepreneurs pitch their products to real-life investors who are also known as sharks. Her moving and impactful pitch left the judges teary-eyed and she walked away with an impressive $750,000 investment from them to start her new business with. Even before Amber had to give the pitch of a lifetime, she had to fight for her survival as she battled an illness and many other challenges along the way. And in today's episode, we hear about the light bulb moment that led her to leave her corporate job to start her company, Circadian Optics, and how she prepared for this pitch, as well as other lessons that she has learned working with Mark Cuban and Laurie Greiner. Enjoy this episode. Hi. This is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Hi, Amber. We're so grateful for the chance to catch up with you today all the way from Minnesota as we find out more about your journey and to also talk to you about life after your incredible pitch on Shark Tank back in 2019. It's always Really fun and really nice uh, when someone from Malaysia reaches out and asks to talk. And, and I think it's one way that I stayed connected to Malaysia. So yeah, thanks for reaching out. So for those of you who may not know this, Amber was the first Malaysian entrepreneur who pitched her business on Shark Tank. Now, I grew up watching Shark Tank as well, so it was definitely really awesome to see a fellow Malaysian representative on TV. And... Amber's pitch was dubbed one of the best ever pitches on Shark Tank, where you walked away with a 750000 investment equivalent to 3.1 million ringgit from Mark Cuban and Laurie Greiner. So while we understand that your success story today might seem like a fairy tale and, you know, it's something that we only read about in the news, but we also understand that you have navigated a lot of hardships and obstacles along the way. So we would love for you to share with us an insight to your background and what was it like for you as you made the move from Malaysia, a small town as I understand it, to the US? Yeah. It's actually a very strange thing. So I'm actually from Kuala Lumpur. It's, it's in the city, but I think a lot of people do not even realize there are like some that in KL. Now there's less, but, you know, growing up in the 80s, there are a lot of um, wooden houses, little villages that is in the outskirts of, of KL. And I'm from uh, a part of KL called South, South Slatan. And now it's completely developed, but I, I believe the South, South uh, Main Street, Main Drag is still there because I visited the last time I was there. 
before I was developed, you know, it was raised uh, to, to the ground to, to build condos. It was truly a village. And I lived and grew up in a village, but I took the bus to downtown Bukit Bintang to go to school in Bukit Bintang Village School, where uh, the Pavilion Mall is now. So I would say that it was a very unique and overall bit of a jarring childhood where I would wake up in the village by chickens and I, I would go with my grandma. I would have a torch lake in the dark and, and walk out to take the bus, then to the glittering city in Kuala Lumpur. And I had awesome, great education in it. That is the great foresight by my parents uh, to send me to school in uh, Bukit Bintang Girls School. It was a very good school where I was surrounded by I would say a lot of girls that was from different backgrounds. And the great thing about going to school in BBJS was that it gave me the confidence that I never really questioned myself that I'm from a village because I was there from center one all the way to form five. And I think that was the great foresight for my parents that even though they never went to college, they knew that the a good education was the key and surrounding their children, being in an environment where high-achieving people are around. I mean, and that's the key because when I see it, I feel like I can do it myself. I would credit all my success to actually my time in BBGS and in Bukit Bintang Girls School. I understand that your parents decided to buy a one-way ticket for you and ship you over to the U.S. where you ended up in Minnesota, which I assume is not a very common place for Malaysians to go to. No, it's not. Yeah, sure. We know a little bit more about that. I went to Minnesota because they gave me, I mean, a small school in Minnesota because they gave me an excellent scholarship. It was the only thing that I could afford. Honestly, all my friends were going to Australia and the U.K. And the only thing I could afford in KL was like either I go form six and go to Ta College and which I did. I went to Ta College and then I transferred all the credits on my own. But at the same time, because I I saw my peers all going on international adventures and my sister got a scholarship to NTU, I wanted the same adventure for myself. I knew the world was a lot bigger than what I know and what I could conceive uh, because I read about it and I knew I wanted to go on a big adventure. So I wanted to go somewhere far away. And my parents also, they, they supported me. It's a very strange thing that they believed so much in me that they were willing to really cash out their EPF and gave me the money to go to the U.S. And it was enough money for uh, the room and board for one semester. And the rest I had to figure it myself. I was so silly and so brave. I'm so impressed by how brave I was, actually, because like knowing what I know now, now that I'm older, it was it was so risky. And I'm so thankful and so lucky that my parents didn't stop me. It was kind of amazing that they didn't stop me. <laughs> I think that's how parents do, right? They know and see the dream. They see your potential and they fuel the dream. Amber, but yeah. we still know that you had to battle an illness. Yes, yes. So when I was here, I also got an infection, a blood infection called toxic shock syndrome. And it was actually the worst time of my life where I was sick and my parents couldn't come because they didn't have US visas. 
So I was literally lying in in bed. I mean, and in and out of consciousness on my own. My parents would call the the hospital. I could like told my friend, and my friend did call my parents, even though I didn't want to. But then it was my boyfriend at the time, and now my now husband. They said that you have to you have to call your parents because you know I didn't want them to worry, but they said no, you're way too sick. You have to call your parents. And one of my most distinctive memory of that time was my my mom calling my room in the ICU and my nurse, my ICU nurse answered at the time. And my nurse was crying because my mom was crying with the other end. And I was lying there on my ICU bed, I mean, in and and out of consciousness, but I could hear both of them crying. And because my ICU nurse was describing my condition to my mom. And I just felt like, like my poor mom, like, what did I put her through? She could come here and all she could do was just call my ICU room for, for updates. And it was a very difficult and challenging time for me and for my family. And I actually think that especially, especially in heart for my family, like your daughter being so sick, like dying literally and you could get to her. I think that's a very helpless feeling for one. And I will always remember that conversation between the nurse because it's one of like distinct memories because it was like nighttime, it was dark, I could hear my nurse crying. And it was, it was an amazing thing that because it's only a 50% chance and I did survive. And I just feel so grateful for, for life and so grateful for my parents. So I, I do feel like because I've lived through that, I have this responsibility to be worthy of the second chance that I'm given in life. So many people that believed in me and so many people that helped me, I have to try and do something with it and not just live comfortably. And I always think that there's two things in life, like courage and comfort, and I can only choose one. And it's not always successful that I want to choose courage because I also seek comfort. but I know that I can't have both. I have to choose one. That is incredibly powerful, Amber. Thank you so much for sharing the story of how you had to go through it with sheer willpower and strength and coming out of the other side with that renewed sense of purpose in life. Yeah. Having gone through what you did, what was that light bulb moment that actually inspired you to then leave your corporate career to start up mm-hmm. a business on light therapy lamps. This is a quite an unconventional yeah. product as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. So tell it, us all uh, about that light bulb moment. Yeah, so um, I live in Minnesota and it's an extremely cold state in the, um, in, the, in the U.S. And in the winter, we only get eight hours of sunlight and it, it gets really depressing. It's very cool. It's very dark. And I was in my corporate career. I mean, I was, I was doing well in my corporate job and I was thriving and I was working long hours. So it was very strange where, you know, I would go to work in the dark, even though it's 8 a.m. It's dark. But then when I leave work at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., it's dark. So I never get to see the sunlight. And then I was really getting like really depressed. And it's a known thing within the Minnesota that it's like, oh, you know, are you sad and you're feeling depressed and, and in the winter, you might have NCD called seasonal affective disorder. It's a thing where people don't get enough sunlight and they, they just affect their sleep, affects their mood. 
I think people don't realize how important the sun is and we get so much of it in Malaysia that we kind of want to get away from it. But, you know, maybe that's, that's the reason why Malaysians are so happy. Uh, people that live on the equator are generally happier people. I mean, it's true. The, the sun, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, and so I read about it and I was like, well, we can we remedy this situation with a light therapy lamp. And it's a lamp that mimics the brightness of the sun. So it's very bright. And you put it next to your, your computer and you just like get all the sunlight. And it was really ugly. And I used it in the office and everyone laughed at me because then I'm kind of letting everyone know that, you know, I'm a depressed person. It, there's a, this stigma around it. It's like, oh, I'm using this stuff. So everyone's depressed. Oh, no. And I'm like, well, why does it have to be so ugly? Why does it have to be so clinical? I mean, we're so many. The design forward things we have the iPhone. I mean, all our electronics are so beautifully designed. Why does this important health device is so ugly? And then I realized, well, that's a problem. There's a gap in, in the marketplace. And I'm a marketer. I, I was working as a marketing manager, a brand manager. And I was like, well, I can do this. Like, I can go out to design this better looking lamp. And at the time it turned 30, I was comfortable in my job. I was in my job for over like six, seven years already and I was doing well. And the kind of routine, you know, I reached the American dream. I did what I was supposed to do. I know I got a corporate job. It was successful. My parents are proud of me. I could afford to send money home, buy them a house, all of that. I did all of the things that I was supposed to do. But at the same time, you know, I was in my early 30s and I was like, well, is this it? Like, is this, I kind of knew what the path was, right? Because if you just continue on the corporate path, then you just get that promotion and every year kind of do the same. And I was like, is there a different path? Is there something different that I could do? And I was like, well, comfort and courage, right? Those two things. And the thing is, I had the idea, a lot of times I know so many people who wanted to start their own business, who want to go out, you know, do something, be their own boss. But they don't have the idea. And I felt like because I had the idea already, it's almost like it would be a disservice to myself that I don't go out and try. Because what have I got to I'm in my early 30s. If I fail, I just go back and get a job. I mean, if you really think about it rationally, people who want to take a mid-career break and do something, try something. Your finances are not going to collapse. If it fails, it fails, and then at least you try. The only failure is the failure to try. So I did try because I was so very fortunate that my husband was, was very supportive of me quitting my job. So I did. And the main thing they was that it became successful. I was like, yeah, I was out of shop. I mean, more than anyone else, I was shocked. I launched the brand Circadian Optics. I launched it with one model and then I was like, it's selling so I can work on the second model, the third model, the fourth model. Um, and then four years into it, I would multi-million dollar in revenue blows my mind, but it was not always easy to, there were two years of it where I had to sell my car to fund the holiday inventory and I would get around in, in Uber or ride rides from my friends. When the summer payout comes around, that when we buy another car, I would do crazy things like that because I wanted the business to succeed. And then I auditioned for Sharp Tang the first year, and then I didn't get in. They rejected me. I was like, that's fine because 
at, the, at that point, I kind of got good at feeling or trying things. Of course, I'm telling you all the things that worked out. I have, I have other things that didn't work out too. You know, I tried selling in you know, a retail store that failed horribly. You need all those things. I, I kind of tr- have a puzzle of feeling. <laughs> so I failed the first time getting a chart thing. I didn't get it. And then the second year, I tried again. And then in 2019, and then I went all the way. It's still so thankful for the experience. It's really life-changing. And then the business really took off after I went to Chapter And getting to, to work with Mark and Lori is also life-changing. Lori is a very encouraging and, and lovely person that, you know, um, when you talk to her, she does really give me a lot of assurance and encouragement. Um, she does try very hard to lift other women entrepreneurs up. And that's something that I, I hope to do. And I hope to tell my story that one of the things why I want to tell my story, I'm willing to tell my story is that I'm a girl from South South. My sister and I were the first to, to go to college. I'm not from an influential family. My parents were not wealthy. I always look at people, even from Subang and PJ, you know, like, oh, these are FS people, you know, but someone like me for South South, really, I grew up you know, speaking kidneys and I can do it. And I think people need to know that, like, there's this inferiority complex is that, oh, your parents are not rich. Your parents, oh, I'm from the comfort. This is all I could do. And it's not true. It's not true. And I, I sold my company last year in 2021. And it's been just really, really an amazing ride that, that even I have to pitch myself. <laughs> well, Amber, like you mentioned, it's it, you're obviously telling us some of the highlights and the successes. And obviously, we understand that there are those low moments as well and all the challenges that you went through to get to where you are today, right? And as you mentioned, you were an entrepreneur who started uh, Circadian Optics back in 2016, but Shark Tank only picked it up in 2019. So it took right. a like 18 months for it to be finally featured on Shark Tank. And for most entrepreneurs, the chance to pitch their product or service on Shark Tank is indeed a dream come true. And we've also read that some 45,000 people apply to get on the show every year. And less than 1% of applicants get to pitch their idea to the shark. And you are one of those handful of people that actually on TV. So it sounds so crazy. You said you had to pitch yourself and and I can imagine that you did that a couple of times as well. Can you share with us, was there anything about the whole Shark Tank experience that surprised you? Yeah. So first of all, the set in real life looked exactly like it does on TV. And it is definitely as scary as it looks. (laughs) But one thing that really surprised me was that the moment I walked, in off camera I mean the camera was focused on me right all of the sharks were smiling at me and trying to encourage me because there was one point that when I was pitching and they were kind enough to edit the part out that I forgot my lines but all of them they looked at me and they were like okay go on go on and they are very actually encouraging it and and kind and in person, even Kevin O'Leary, which was like, he's supposed to be the villain of the show. So it, it was a very all around, like very positive experience. They of course create drama in the show, but for me, it was a positive experience. And 
I was surprised by how kind the sharks were in person. And actually, I would note that Barbara, Barbara was the one that was like so kind. I mean, she made contact with me the moment I, I walked and walked in and she was like looking and, and then she was trying to encourage me. It's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. She was so kind. So yeah, I was struck by that. <laughs> And tell us what, before, you know, the doors open and before you started walking in, what was actually going through your mind and how did you actually psych yourself up? Like, take us back to that moment when, yeah. when, when all of it yeah. happened. So it was a very long day before I shot. I mean, I, I started off really early, like 7 a.m. call time. So I woke up very early and then I only sh shot my segment at like 5 o'clock. So it was a really, really long day. And it was like, I was like, we came out alone in my trailer. Um, no one could be with me in my trailer. So I was all alone. And a lot of people pitched with a partner or pitched with someone, but I was, I actually pitched alone. So that was very hard. So I did, um, listen to music. So I was listening to Hamilton. And then there was a part like about the Swiss scrappy immigrant that goes to America and, and make something of himself. Um, and, I, and that story resonated with me. It was so powerful. And I wanted that, that, that feeling. So I, I, I listened to that. And the one that I really listened to was uh, Lose Yourself by Eminem. So it was like that kind of like, I was like, oh, yes, yes. Like, Lose Yourself. And one shot, you know, I was like, one shot, one opportunity. And I also like, right before I walked in, you know, it all was calm. It was like, you know, they called, you know, quiet on the set. And then I was, I was like, everyone was quiet. And then I did, did pray. I prayed to God. I was like, like, God, please, you've taken me this far. You've, you've given me a second chance in life. Like, help me through this pitch. Validate, like, the, the chance that you've given me, all the work that I've done. Everyone that has helped me in life, my parents, my mentors. Everyone that has helped me, all of the work that I've done, that's just make it real. And I say thank you, really thank you for bringing me here and just carrying me through. So I did, I did like, I prayed, prayed to God. I listened to music in the trailer, but then when I was on set, I did pray. And that is a perfect pre-battle soundtrack, <laughs> you know, Eminem. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's, Wow. Eventually, with all the preparation that you had mentally. Yeah. And yeah. All, I'm sure all the work that you've done beforehand. Eventually, your pitch did make the tough cookie Kevin cry. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark, Cuban, Mark Cuban also called you the embodiment of the American dream. I mean, that's I, I don't think that's something Mark Cuban would say loosely to anyone. Yeah. I, I, I did not expect that. And I think what an American dream. I'm also a product of of Malaysia and Malaysian dream, you know? And even though I'm here in the U.S. and making something of myself, I'm always from Malaysia. Always, I'm not really see it. Yeah, and, and we're so proud of you because eventually <laughs> all the sharks, they were so compelled by your pitch that you were provided with two different investment opportunities. And you eventually decided to steal a deal with Mark Cuban and Laurie with the 750000 USD investment. So... As we mentioned before, right, the whole preparation, getting on the show itself, and you said that it took you two tries, that mm -hmm. it's it probably half the battle. 
And I was yeah. like, persuading these sharks who are tough cookies, who have had so many years of experience off their backs. That would be a whole other challenge. So we'd love to hear, you know, how did you prepare for this pitch of a lifetime in the months yeah. up to it, from the moment you got the call? How then did you start the preparation? Yeah, so I did prepare. You should never walk in line to any pitches of your pitching your business on. So like a month prior to my film date, and I think that was all I did, actually. I did that full time. Where did eight hours a day? I ran up on every single shark. I read their memoirs. Because the goal is that I want to feel like I know them and I want to feel like they know me. The goal is that it could banter with them like a friend. It paid off where there's one point in, in the pitch where Mark Cuban's catchphrase that he lists in his memoir was like, no balls, no babies. So I used it and it hit, like he loved it. And I had that prepared for every single chart. And I didn't know who the final lineup was, but I knew that they were going to be like the usual cast sharks. So I read all of their interviews, uh, read all of their memoirs. I knew my numbers like by heart. I practiced all of the questions. So it was so awkward initially because I practiced it with my, my friends where I would invite my friends over and I would um, cook dinner for them. Then I was like, okay, the real reason that you're here is that I actually want to practice my Shark Tank pitch. And then all of them would go crazy because I'm not supposed to tell anyone that I got a Shark Tank, but I was like, okay, this is my pitch. And then it was a very fun group experience too because I practice with different group of friends. Um, I would call out my ex coworkers, and then I was like, "Okay, I want to practice pitching me my pitch with you." I didn't do it in isolation. It was definitely an interactive practice where I practice with with people, real people, um, who ask me real questions, and a lot of studying, not just about my business, which is a given. That is an absolute must that it's just like table stakes like that's the stakes the chips you have to, to put on the table but the extra work is actually getting to know all the sharks i read all of the books that they've published all read uh, the interviews so that when i'm with them it doesn't feel like i'm pitching to complete strangers hearing you talk about how you made it a whole group interactive session where there was a whole community and literally a whole village supporting yeah it's so wonderful and I'm sure you know all your friends and your family your now husband was like over the moon when they found out so share with us what that moment was like Amber it was amazing so the day that it aired I got my air date I had a viewing party in my house and all my friends that I practiced with I invited them to my house and then we watched everything and we had you know, uh, a big laund- uh, uh, TV monitor in our living room. And we actually watched the, the, the episode together. I mean, I started on film, like my reaction and everyone's reaction. I have a picture of that night. I got everyone sweatshirt, circadian optics branded and everyone wore that sweatshirt. And my friend got me a donut cake that says Shark Tank. And then we have a picture of that. I think it's, it's like, I'm so thankful. I mean, 
That was amazing. Thinking about it just makes me smile. And that night was so amazing where, you know, I, I had my computer up real time. When it aired, I saw the orders come in. So it was, it was not a thing. It's like, seriously, really an experience of a lifetime that I'm, I'm so thankful I got to experience it and got to do it with, with so many people. It sounds like, you know, you really did the pitch of a lifetime. And what made it even better was the fact that you were cheered on by an entire community of family, friends, and huge supporters. And we couldn't be, you know, happier for you and the, the life that you've created for yourself. And I think from the sharings that you told us earlier, right, the elements that made your pitch successful was to know your audience well. You researched them yeah. inside out. You really, really did yeah. the work. And the fact yeah. that you all the numbers so clearly at the back of your hand, you didn't even stop for a moment or, or hesitate mm -hmm. when they were asking you about, you know, all of your different margins. So I think that was really impressive. And of course, practice, practice, practice. So I yeah. think that yeah. would be extremely helpful, especially for those of our listeners out there who are aspiring entrepreneurs or, or current entrepreneurs. Yeah. So on that note, we, we want to actually speak about the chance that you've had to work with Mark and Laurie. It is quite a dream come true, I would say, right? As an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. have a chance to work with them and much less have them invest in your business. So if you could share with our audience, what are the three key lessons that you have learned from your experience working with these savvy, smart, and really successful investors? First of all, you have to know yourself. Like, you can't bullshit with them. Don't be fake. Don't be salesy. Just be yourself and know your numbers. That's one thing. They're so smart. They have so much experience. They can see through it at any time. And second, like, don't waste your time. Don't try to buy your way or buy it with, or get them to give you something. You have to prove your worth first. And the third one is, is also know that you have to work very, very, very hard. It's your job to inspire them. And you can like inspire people to invest in you and invest in your business. It's your job to convince everyone around you, your employees, your coworkers, your friends, your Potential investor, everyone you meet, oh, just work Cuban and worry. Everyone you meet, know that it's a potential investor. And not to say that it was in a bad way, like everyone is a potential investor. You just have to be yourself and embody your business and embody your product. You yourself can be the best ambassador of your brand, your product, embody that. And then everyone would know it. I think all of us have a bullshit radar and it's very sharp. We can tell when, you know, that's a salesperson. They're trying to still tell me insurance. Oh, he just, he just got into an MLM. He's trying to sell me stuff. Even though we read this book, in, everyone has that bullshit radar. Everyone does. And so you have to be, be real and embody your product, your brand, and just be, be a real person. And then people will connect and respond to you as the real person. You couldn't have said it more perfectly, Amber. <laughs> I think you did that yourself by embodying and just being true to your values as you pitch. So Amber, we would love to know if you could leave one parting word of advice for our audience, mostly made up of young working professionals like Janice and myself. Mm -hmm. What is that one advice 
that you would leave with them? I would say if you have an idea, even if it's a kernel of an idea, just do it. I think a lot of us always want to trade. It's like, oh, it's the perfect time. I wanted to make it the perfect time. I wanted to be at 100% before I share the idea. I would go do it once I get the XYZ promotion. You'd be surprised when you are in your early 30s, in your 20s, in your early 30s. It's the time to try. What's the worst that can happen? You fail. Fine. And now there's no shame in failure. Maybe 30 years ago or 20 years ago, it's like, oh, you lost your job or you failed. And then try to do the business and then it's not successful. No, it's not the case anymore. There's this supportive community now where it's like, if you want to go out and you have an idea and go out and reach for your dreams, just do it. I mean, just tell people about First, tell people about it. Don't be afraid to share your ideas. No one's going to laugh at you. The only person that laughs hardest at you is yourself. You are the harshest critic. Your friends are supportive of you. Your family are supportive of you. All the things that you think are in your way and in, in trying to like make a career change, it's you. You're stopping yourself. So I would say uh, give yourself great. Love yourself. I mean, that sounds difficult, but it's not. It's really not. Just don't be afraid to take risks. So well said. And it just brings to mind this phrase that like, you know, done is better than perfect. And I think yeah, it sums it up so well. If you don't try, if you don't go for it, if well, while you can, you just never know. Right. Yeah. And your story is the perfect testament to that. And yeah, and it could have easily failed too. And if it failed, I mean, of course I'll be sad and I won't be talking to you guys, but it would still have been a story. Amen to that, Amber. And so as we're wrapping up now, we'd also love to hear what else is in store for you. Earlier that you mentioned you have sold your company, Circadian Optics. What what else lies in the horizon if you could share with our audience? So I am going to start the new business. It's still in the work. I mean, I've been very I've been very fortunate that I've gotten to where I am, where I can pick and choose what to do. And my prayer and for the rest of my life is that I will get the chance to continue creating and building whatever my next mountain is. So I am looking for my next mountain that I'm cl- going to climb. And my prayer is that I will continue to create and build and not go back to corporate <laughs> and not try to stay safe. That I'll choose courage more than I choose comfort. Thank you so much, Amber, for sharing that. And we will definitely stay tuned to whatever else that lies on the horizon for you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, really, to speak to both of you and tell my story. So in conjunction with International Women's Day in the month of March, and with the theme of breaking the bias, we want to have three quick rapid-fire questions with you before we wrap up. So... Question number one, what does gender equality mean to you? Gender equality means that people don't even realize I'm a woman, that I can get to do everything that a white guy gets to do, and they wouldn't even question it. So that's what it means to me. And who is a woman that inspires you the most and why? The woman that inspires me the most is my grandmother, who had passed away. Because she gave birth to eight children and she raised them on her own. 
and then she raised me. So the, she's the definition, like a why, like she's an example to me of like how women can be so strong. I mean, there's this quote that I read that like women are like tea bags. You don't know how strong they are unless you put them in hot water. I saw that when since I was a kid and then I knew that we're no wilting flower. She never had a man in her life that, you know, that worked. And I think that instilled the work ethic. And I'm sure she must be ever so proud of you right now. And the third and final question, what is one message that you would like to share with all the women around the world on this occasion? Be yourself. I think all of us, all women, I think more women than men that we have this internal self-critique, we always have doubt ourselves. We have the tendency to say, oh, we're not ready yet. We want to get to 100%. I mean, there's this research done that, um, like women applicants, when they're applying for a job, they want to make sure that they get a hundred percent match before they apply. But for guys, when it's like 70%, they already apply, you know, and that they have that, that much confidence and, and guts and privilege. And my, my hope and wish is for women is to have that gut and, 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 and gumption. It's like, don't wait for a hundred percent. Ask for it. Be yourself and know that you're so powerful. I And I always try to remind myself too. No one is laughing at me. No one is criticizing me. The only one that's doing that is myself. And the biggest doubter, the biggest person that is this, is myself. And I always wish women would remember that, that you are so powerful. Don't wait for 100%. Thank you so much, Amber, and also for this conversation, but more importantly, also for the reminder to always choose courage over comfort. And so that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Amber. Yeah, yeah, thank you. If you've stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every Monday at 8pm. See you then! Thank you.